Blog Talk Radio. Live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake, and uh, we are back after a couple months hiatus from the conclusion of the college and NFL football season. We are back with our first show post-football season, and it's back by popular demand. Last year we did, uh, for the first time on the podcast, uh, Kentucky Derby Preview, and uh, when I went back last year and looked at the uh, statistics of uh, all the episodes that we have on the website, I think we had 38 episodes last year. Uh, the Kentucky Derby episode was number five out of 38, and it was uh, um, it was hands down the the top downloaded and the top listened episode that was non-football. Uh, we didn't even get close in any of the other sports we discussed. So uh, uh, back with the same lineup we had last year, we've got uh, Mr. Kip Kiefer and uh, Amy Smith is joining us as well. Kip and Amy, thanks again for joining us this year to go over a preview of this Kentucky Derby. Well, you're welcome. Well, it's great it's, to be here. Yeah. Yeah, same We're here, happy Kip, to have you on. Let's go ahead and get started. We can only have an hour, and we've got a lot to discuss. Um, wide open field this year, um, extremely wide open field. I'm going to uh, read a brief excerpt to get to get going, and then, Amy, I was going to start with you just to, to give us kind of a, your thoughts on this uh, on this race, how it's shaping up, what storylines you're looking at, kind of from a 30,000-foot level. But, you know, we've talked a lot, and horse fans talk a lot, um, if you're a sports aficionado, there's nothing like the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it it truly is the most exciting two minutes in sports. Um, I'm reading from an article that uh, Tim Layden from SI.com wrote um, on uh, a couple days ago, uh, March 2nd. Uh, it's a, a great article. I encourage everybody. I encourage everybody to read it if they have time. But I'm just going to read a few sentences here, and then Amy will kick to you. Um, Early in, the mo- uh, early in the evening this coming Saturday, 20 horses will walk into the starting gate that lies beyond the top of the Churchill Downs home stretch. One will cross the finish line first, changing lives forever. And this, too, is the beauty of the Derby. In the Super Bowl, one of two teams will win in a drama that plays out for more than three and a half hours. In the NBA playoffs, one of 16 teams will win And that drama plays out over six to seven weeks. But in the Kentucky Derby, it's 20 teams and two minutes. Even the winners can't process what's happened in real time. And then Layden goes on to, uh, at the conclusion of that paragraph, to uh, have a, a parenthesis, and he says, neither can journalists which leads to chronic pucker at the start of the race. So, uh, uh, Amy, we'll go ahead and start with you, and then Kip will go ahead and get your thoughts on it as well. When you look at this Kentucky Derby and you look at this field, 20 horses deep, uh, big field, wide open field, what kind of storylines are you looking at? What, uh, what do you expect out of, this, uh, out of this running of the Derby on Saturday? Uh, well, first of all, that's a great quote. You know, when it comes to storylines, I feel like you've got two categories. You've got the, uh, the categories about who you're going to bet to race, and you've got the categories, the sentimental stories that you're going to see, you know, on TV during the broadcast. Like, you know, I think the Gunavera story is one of those where yeah. you've got a trainer who, you know, fled from Venezuela, you know, after being kidnapped. You've got, you know, Patch, the one-eyed horse. You've got the resurgence of Calumet Farm. You can't discount that. That's an incredible story where you had a, you know, the, an American icon that went bankrupt and has been bought out and, and rebuilt by someone who was an aficionado of the sport. And within four <laughs> years of doing that, he's got three horses in the field, you know, which is just as a horse racing fan, that's a touching thing to see, but you know, totally. for racing purposes, you've got, you know, yeah. Stories like Irish war cry. Is he, uh, can you excuse his fountain of youth stakes? Can, 
you know, Thunder Snow, our, our UAE Derby winner, Godolphin's entry, can he ship in, which is always a, you know, that's a perennial that's a discussion every year. Can yeah. Godolphin win this year with their shipper? So, yeah, yep. it is a wide-open race, and these stories are going to be fascinating. Kip, what do you think? What are you looking at this Saturday? Well, uh, Amy touched on some of the great storylines. I, I guess uh, uh, who's not there is kind of a big story. Bob Baffert. Uh, prominently absent, uh, by far the most successful trainer uh, in recent years. Of course, he's got the best older horse in the world who has done unprecedented things this year, Arrowgate, uh, who missed the derby party last year because he uh, hadn't got into training late. But, um, yeah, no Bob Baffert in the derby, which is kind of a big storyline. And who is there? Uh, Todd Pletcher, who uh, has – clearly been the most successful trainer in the sport for a long time, uh, really took a business-type approach and has just had a powerhouse stable, won numerous Eclipse Awards. And uh, But Todd Pletcher's record at the Derby is uh, subpar, to say the least. Uh, mm-hmm. He did win the one with Super Saver, um, which was a, a year that uh, the more you look back at it was probably one of the weaker years for uh, three-year-olds uh, in the modern era. But uh, Todd Pletcher, I, I still think, has a lot to prove. Um, and he's got Always Dreaming, who is going to be either the favorite or just uh, slightly behind a classic empire, probably when the final odds click down. So I'm watching from a trainer standpoint. Of course, the story with Rajiv Marat is miraculous. This was a, a top rider who suffered a horrific accident in 2014 and uh, was lucky to survive in a terrible spill and a, and a horse landing on him at, uh, at Belmont Park. I believe he had uh, multiple fractures in his back, and for him to be back and riding <laughs> is remarkable. And uh, the other jockey to uh, really watch out for is uh, the, hot, the hottest guy on earth in terms of, of riders, Mike Smith, who is the rider for Arrowgate and, of course, uh, at 53 years old, is uh, is arguably a better rider now than he was 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, I, I always like the trainer jockeys and kind of the uh, the uh, the hearts tugging uh, stories. Um, Amy touched on my favorite well, one, Antonio Sano, the trainer of uh, of, of Guinevere, who was a $16,000 purchase, by the way. And uh, that gosh. those stories are always amazing. And an, uh, and when, an orphaned foal. He he was raised yeah, on a nurse exactly. care after his ma- his mother died at ten days, but you know I I wow. almost forgot I can't I can't in good faith as a female racing fan forget <laughs> Rosie Napravnik you know she's married to Joe Sharp who is Gervin's trainer who comes to the right. Derby for the first time with his horse winning as female rider in history and of course the incredible day when she won the Breeders Cup Distaff and then announced on the broadcast she had just won when yeah. she was seven weeks pregnant I I loved that. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, it was a lot of locals around here rooting for her. <laughs> I mean, Rosie was Rosie was such an amazing rider and was just absolutely uh, just just rocketing up. I mean, she was arguably one of the top three or four riders in the sport and walked away, um, yep. which was pretty pretty remarkable. And I had the pleasure of meeting her. We do a uh, Alabama bread race every year down at the fairgrounds, and she happened to ride the winner in our race, and that was a big thrill for me because that was about a month before she retired. So, uh, <laughs> to meet her in the winter circle, and and, uh, and and she she gave some legitimacy to our race. One of the top riders of the country got it done. <laughs> Kip, Kip, tell us a little bit about. Uh, I know you're the, the executive director of the Alabama Racing Commission. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing on Saturday and what you guys have planned uh, at the racetrack in Birmingham for the Derby. Yeah, the uh, Birmingham racetrack, uh, uh, Birmingham uh, race course that uh, is, is our home base here, uh, has just undergone a two and a half million dollar renovation and the big uh, debut of the revamped clubhouse and sky club level is saturday so we're really excited about that and we're just going to have an all day just awesome derby party um gonna gonna uh start with a nine o'clock uh, in the morning opening because the first race from churchill's at nine thirty our time so we got to get an early start and uh, have a absolutely Kip, how many guys how many uh how many people do you normally have attend on derby day and is it the uh is it the uh the busiest day of the year for you guys Far, far and away. Uh, on a typical Saturday, we will have uh, anywhere from 1,200 to 1,500 people between the Saturday afternoon and the Saturday evening. We're expecting uh, 
projecting probably between 4,000 and 4,500. So literally Fantastic. four times more more attendance on Derby Day. Everybody's a horse racing fan on Derby Day. And that's uh, right. That's exactly wait. right. Hey, Amy, let me ask you a little bit there. about the. Let me ask you, Amy. Let me ask you about the post position draw that uh, uh, that occurred yesterday. Uh, we talked. We got twenty horses in the race, and you know, uh, normally the betting lines kind of spike a little bit, and they change a little bit after we find out, you know, who's going to be going off and what post. I, I found it a little bit interesting this year, just just from eyeballing um, uh, eyeballing where everybody is. It looks like most of the favorites, other than Always Dreaming, who got the five posts. Uh, most of the favorite horses, to the extent that there are favorite horses in this race, is wide open as it is. You know, they got they got much higher draws. You've got Classic Empire at 13. Uh, Ganevra is at 10. Irish War Cry, I think, is at 17. McCracken at 15. Gormley at 18. You know, what uh, what, what were your thoughts after seeing where all the horses uh, ended up in the uh, at the post numbers? Uh, well, if it's me, I'd rather see the favorites on the outside. You know, I feel like the biggest issue with the 20-horse field in the Derby is that when the best horses are down on the inside, they get trapped on the rails sometimes and never get to run. Like, looking at Lucky a few yeah. years ago, who would have been my pick, and then when he drew the one hole, I didn't even bet him. And, you know, I, I feel like it's a good Derby draw when you see that because at least, you know, they may get taken wide around the first turn, but at least they're going to have a chance to get a position in a clear running lane if they're – further to the outside. I'll be honest, the post position draw did change my picks. I, I, and I still am contemplating this, but my, I really like Godolphin's horse this year, Thundersnow. And when he ended up in the two hole, I swallowed hard and decided I wasn't going to pick him to win because (laughs) I just feel like, you know, even if I think he's the best horse, what are the odds that he's going to get a clear path to run when we know he's not going to want to go to the front and he's going to be in the two hole, he's going to get buried. At that point you're gambling on the field, you know, and you've got a jockey who isn't familiar with Churchill. And so you're just betting a lot on fate and circumstance. And I'd rather go with a more known quantity on the outside at that point. But I think that's that's the one horse that got a, a, the raw end of the deal on the draw that makes me uncomfortable. Interesting, Kip. Uh, talk to us a little bit. I mean, uh, a little bit about the size of the field and, and how that dynamic affects this race. I mean, the, the Florida Derby, I think, uh, had 11 horses. Arkansas Derby had 12. Bluegrass Stakes had 7. Santa Anita, 13. Wood Memorial 8, Louisiana Derby 9. I mean, none of these horses have really run in races with 19 other uh, competitors on the track. And I know that, you know, it's it's not unusual to have large fields at Kentucky Derbies. But uh, your your thoughts on the, uh, the post position draw and, um, and really kind of want to get both uh, you and Amy's thoughts on, uh, you know, how a deep field like this affects the race, considering that very few, if any, of these horses have ever ran under the conditions that they'll run in with so many other competitors on the track. Well, that's that's the thing that's so compelling about the Derby because you, you've got young horses, uh, three-year-olds, uh, and in this day and age, they're not very well seasoned and because they, they typically don't have a whole lot of starts because the idea in this day and age is not to uh, train a horse till he's dead fit. It's to kind of work him along just to get to the first Saturday in May. It's it's it, 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 it's uh it's the old thing about showing up being part of the uh, the success story, and then you think about trying to win it once you've gotten in. But uh, the, the way horses are trained and prepared is totally different. And and the other huge variable is. None of these horses has ever experienced the situation that they're going to be faced with on Saturday. Nineteen other horses, you mentioned it, uh, the, the, the biggest field that any of them uh, competed in, in in the prep races was the 12-horse uh, Arkansas Derby. Twenty horses is, is just a cavalry charge. And not to mention the uh, other slight uh, variables, but they're going to be going further than they've ever tried to go before. Yeah. Uh, 170,000 people roaring, and I'm telling you, when the, when the gate opens at Churchill Downs, I've had the uh, opportunity to experience a derby from uh, all different angles at, at, at Churchill, and the, the, that, that moment uh, when the horses come by the stands the first time, uh, you know, the, the the competitors have their mind on their business, but it is just a completely different atmosphere than any of these horses have ever faced. And 
And yeah. and and the the field size, the other big variable. Amy touched on it. Um, there there is going to be obstruction, off strides, traffic problems, and even firm collisions um, and jostling of, uh, around. I mean, it's just it it there's just not enough real estate for that many you know giant yeah. bodies. Uh, to negotiate, especially as you get in into the first turn and everybody's trying to get some position and save ground. So uh, there will be three or four horses that will be badly compromised in the race, and that's just that's just the nature of the game. And uh, in this particular situation, uh, unfortunately for the uh, billfolds of some of the participants uh, <laughs> up at the windows, uh, some, a couple of the major favorites are very likely to be some of the victims of that traffic situation. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I want to mention real quick, I, I, I loved it that Amy mentioned looking at Lucky, who uh, clearly was the best horse that year uh, of that three-year-old season. He went on to win the Preakness in Belmont handily, but uh, his triple crown chances doomed by the one post. And isn't it ironic that his son, looking at Lee, that's <laughs> what position he's in in the Derby on Saturday. He's yeah, that, he belongs there. That one post. <laughs> that's exactly right. And Amy, you had mentioned uh, you you had mentioned as well, Patch. Poor Patch. Patch is the horse wow. that has one eye, and he has yeah, a right and eye, and not a left uh, eye, and he drew the twenty post. <laughs> I mean, uh huh. Yeah, you can't make be, this I, stuff does. up. Somebody very, very <laughs> no. Hey, we get your He's thoughts on such a big deal. How does it affect? How does it affect all these horses? Uh, I'm not a fan of the 20 horse field for the same reasons Kip just laid out. I feel like you're you're you have a few horses in this race that you can honestly say they really shouldn't be there because they don't really have a shot at winning given the field and the competition. And I kind of wish that we'd evolve into a place where we could take a few horses off this list, but. You know, that's not what the Derby is. It hasn't been that for a couple decades now, so it's reality you have to accept. And what I do like about the field this year, as as big and unwieldy as it is, is at least there isn't anything in here that's just cheap speed. You know, we've seen years where you have a couple horses in the race that are just rabbits, and all they do is go to the front, and they run completely unrealistic fractions for the first half of the race. And, of course, the effect that has is everything behind it falls apart because a horse that's used to sort of stalking off the pace that might be the best horse in the race, you're throwing his game off when you've got a horse that runs to the front and then runs an unrealistically hot pace. You know, these are young horses, and you're you're changing things up on them, and it ends up, you know, just a lot of good horses fall apart that way. And even the horses in this race that, are, that look like they're going to want to set the pace – you know, they're not crazy entries. They probably don't have the distance, the stamina to go a mile and a quarter, but I don't see anything in here that should go to the front and just scorch to the first mile and then stop like uh. a brick wall. But we do have an excessive amount of horses in this field that want to be in that stalking place, you know, where they're not on the lead, but they're also not dead closers, and that's a recipe for a traffic jam, and that's why I like the fact that you have more of the favorites on the outside. Yeah, and I, I tell you, talking about talking about a big field and how they're – you know, anytime you do have a field as deep as um, as, as twenty horses, you're you're going to have some horses, as you said, Amy, that don't deserve to be in the race. This is maybe only two horses in this race. I mean, fourteen uh, as the betting lines were at six o'clock this evening. Fourteen of the twenty horses um, had lines. Excuse me, uh, thirteen of the twenty horses had lines that were 20 to 1 or below. So, uh you had you had mentioned uh Thundersnow. I think Thundersnow opened at 25 to 1. Um I, I when I checked at 6 o'clock, Thundersnow was 20 to 1 even though he had he had mm-hmm. drawn the two post positions. So, the question for you Kip and then Amy want you to answer it as well. I mean, realistically, you know how many horses can win this race? Is it fourteen? Is it fifteen? I mean, is it or or is, is the reality? Are we looking at you know maybe five or six horses that have the potential to win, and then the rest of the field extremely competitive for uh, for a place or show bet? Well, in my analysis, I I got it down to six that I thought were were the uh, were the legitimate winners, and you. You 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 have the the circumstances where you get the horse like mine that bird uh, who I can't believe nobody's made a movie about that yet. His trainer drove <laughs> him up from Albuquerque, New Mexico, in an old Ford truck in a one horse trailer, 
and he pulled in with Calvin Burrell and won the Derby at 50 or 60 to 1 a few years ago. But That um, movie would give uh, me nightmares. <laughs> oh, me too. I, I still haven't recovered from the mind that bird uh, shock. But um, and, and 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 the funny part of that story was even the track announcer got was just it, it couldn't have been him. He was identifying him as a completely different name. It was the most bungled derby call. And then finally, <laughs> right before the wire, he goes, "Oh my gosh, that's mine, that bird." Um, yeah, anyway, he ended up winning the race. But setting that aside, my original uh, my original cut, I got it down to six, and then I grudgingly even let two of those go. So I. I I, I'm prepared to make the case that, in my mind, there's only four horses that legitimately would, could possibly win the race. And of course, uh, you know, I say aberrations happen, but uh, I, I've got it down. I've got it down to just the, my final four, and uh, and I've got two that I prefer over the other two. So, um, yeah, it, but it's it, it, it's definitely a handicapping chore. I think there's uh, uh, the the thing that's fun about this race is that. There are a number of horses I think that can come from the uh, from the clouds or either hang in there on the pace and and uh, and really light the board up and may, and pay a big ticket. So I think from a from a wagering standpoint and from a potential payoff standpoint, uh, it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lo- awful lot of depth uh, because there's only you know probably five or six horses in the race that I just really don't like at all. So. Uh, it's it, it's going to be a lot of fun, but I I did get it down to to my final four. Amy, what are your thoughts? How many horses uh, have an opportunity to win this race? Well, if I want to be generous and define it as how many wouldn't shock me, I'd say I could get up to eight or nine. You know, there are horses yeah. mm-hmm. like yeah. a Gervin or a Gunavera that I don't have in my top five. But that if, you know, if Gervin came in, I'd say, well, I guess that foot didn't bother him as much as I thought it did, you know, and, and I would rationalize, well, he won his last two prep races going into Kentucky. I just didn't give him the benefit of the doubt because he was swimming yeah. in the pool to prepare for the Derby, you know, but when it comes down to my, how I narrowed it down, I think I'm down to about five that I could say are truly up in there, but, you know, eight or nine would be a legitimate line in my mind to draw to say, this is how many are, are, truly competitive in this race interesting that's pretty deep i mean that's uh you know that, that's pretty deep for uh for a kentucky derby kip you had mentioned uh earlier um you know kind of uh maybe some betting trends or maybe some opportunities as folks are laying down money on the exactas and trifectas and superfectas interesting couple interesting statistics going into this race and then want to get both of your thoughts on it um uh, no favorites won this race from 1980 to 1999. So 19 years in a row, it was almost like Kip winning the par three contest at Augusta on Wednesday. You know, yeah. it was a it was a recipe to make certain you were not going to wear the green jacket on Sunday. But you know, then over the last 16 years, eight of the last 17 races, almost 15 50 uh, percent have been won by mm-hmm. the favorites. In the last four years, we've had favorites win. Nyquist went out, I think, at two to one last year, and then we all know. American Pharaoh the year before that. Uh, California Chrome was the favorite in 14. I think went out at five, five to two, and then Orb. I I, I think ended up opening at six to one. I think closed uh, a little bit better than that. But um, but we you know we don't know who's going to be the favorite when they end up posting right now. When they end up posting on Saturday, um, right now Classic Empire is the favorite. Always dreaming. I think opened is the favorite. But um, I didn't realize this until I, until I started to do a little bit of research for this show. But since 1980, um, so that's you know quite a you know quite a long time. We're looking at 37 years. Only uh, only five Derby favorites in the last 37 Derbies went out as favorites at higher than five to one odds, <laughs> and we have that possibility this year. Um, you know, and uh, who knows what it'll end up, you know, looking like by the time they post it. It'll probably be, you know, a tremendous amount of fluctuations. But, you know, um, of those five Derby favorites in the last 37 years that did go out at more than 5-1, to one, only Orb in 2013 ended up winning the race, and nobody else came in higher than sixth. So uh, that'll be interesting to see if um, – uh, if there is a favorite in this race, once they once they uh, once they get into the gates and, and start running, if the if that favorite is 
uh, five to one or higher or five to one at lower. But uh, the reason that was an interesting statistic are, you know, when you look back in the last 37 years, those are the five years that had the highest payouts for the exact bets, the trifecta bets, the superfecta bets. So we'll see if the same thing happens this year because with such a deep field, as, as you guys said, Kip, I know you're looking at four horses that you think you could win. Amy, you'd mentioned uh, eight or nine that wouldn't shock you if they won. But there really are a lot of horses in this race, probably 17 or 18, that wouldn't shock me if they if they showed. You know, if if they came in, mm-hmm. you know, if they came in third place, so uh, a couple of the horses I, w- I was looking at, uh, Untrapped, I think is thirty to one. State of Honors, thirty to one. Other than the sixth place finish at the Arkansas Derby, um, Untrapped either placed or showed in his previous six races, and then you've got um, State of Honor finished second in the Florida Derby second in the Tampa Bay Derby, uh, and then is either one placed or showed in um, uh, in their last seven races. So this could be a big, big payout for uh, for the trifecta and the superfecta bets because you have, you have so many horses in this field that that can make a – when you look at their body of work over the last year, uh, you can make a strong argument for just about all of these horses – um, you know, you you wouldn't be a fool to lay down, you know, uh, to lay down a, a show bet on on most all these. So I think that's also one of the um, one of the things that's going to make it uh, very very interesting. Let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the weather. Um, I've been blessed in my lifetime to been to. I've been to two Kentucky Derbies, 21 years apart. I was there in 1994. I was a a college student at Auburn University, and my roommate was from Louisville. So uh, the, uh, my, myself, my roommate, my other two roommates, the four of us went up there for the uh, for the Derby. Uh, that was the year that Go for Gin won, and I can tell you it was cold and, and wet. rainy. And I, that, that's my one memory from the Kentucky Derby in 1994 uh, because. I didn't wear I didn't bring a jacket. Um I wasn't prepared for how cold it was gonna be and how miserable conditions it was going to be. And I remember having to uh you know, as a uh a twenty one year old college student having to go to the uh to the gift shop and, and, and buy merchandise, not because I really <laughs> brought money to, to buy merchandise, but I needed a jacket and uh you know, then um also went two as years ago kid, and What's that? Was that? Pretty good that you didn't just decide. I said, as a college kid, though, that was pretty good that you decided to go buy clothes rather than just drink yourself warm. For the record, that's <laughs> what right. Did, what We've did seen the infield I, there. In fairness, in fairness, I did a little bit of both. I did a little <laughs> bit of both, but uh, but I needed the jacket. I needed the jacket even with it. But uh, but then, 21 years later, two years ago, was at the Derby when American Pharoah won, and it was completely opposite. It was hot. It was humid. It was sticky. It was dry, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and it was great weather. I'd rather it be hot, sticky, and dry than cold, damp, and wet. But it does look like Saturday's forecast will look a little bit like the 1994 Kentucky Derby did. Um, it's it's going to be cold and and wet. And so. Uh, you know, uh, how does that play into a race like this, Kip, or or does it really not? I mean, all all these horses at the end of the day have to end up running on the same track in the same conditions. But you know, does a sloppy racetrack favor anybody? Uh, you know, it 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 it, it certainly uh, will be a factor if it if it is if it is truly sloppy. I mean, the the techniques of uh, of, of track maintenance have gotten uh, of course to, uh, to an advanced part where you know if it's just a shower um, or if there'd been some rain earlier they they are so good now at what's called sealing the racetrack which basically means they turn it into a uh, they they plaster it down to the point where it's almost like a parking lot and and it the water doesn't really uh, affect it all that much but then if you get torrential rains or a long you know steady rain uh, certainly, with the with all the races earlier on the card, by the time the Derby rolls around, I mean if if you've got a if you've got a really muddy, sloppy surface, uh, there will be horses in the field that will not respond favorably to that. 
Yeah. And every once in a while, you get a horse that loves it. Last year, we saw Exaggerator. Um, I think there was uh, maybe a rogue shower during the day, but uh, but he came flying home for second last year against Nyquist and then uh, traveled to Baltimore two weeks later and, and won the Preakness. Uh, and then later on in the year, on another sloppy track, uh, you know, he, he showed his stuff again. So uh, there's certain horses that really, really like it, but there's a, there's a lot more that don't like it at all. And it, it, it does affect, uh, again, because these horses are lightly raced and really haven't seen a whole lot of, uh, of different conditions, um, it seems to me like uh, historically that really bothers horses that kind of want to lurk just off the pace and, and, and they get a lot of stuff thrown in their face and, and uh, a lot of them don't react very favorably to it. So um, a lot of people will argue that it really kind of serves the front runners a little more to have a, a sloppy surface. And, and I, I, I never really minded for the deep closers either because a lot of them lurk far enough back where, you know, they're not getting uh, barraged by as much as the horses that are kind of contesting just off the pace. And a lot of times those horses make kind of swooping moves where, um, you know, they're going around a lot of the field. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of those middle pace stalkers that really get the worst of it if, if those kind of conditions develop. Yeah, and Amy, let me get your thoughts. I mean, if you have a bad start, you know, uh, with, you know, on a on a sloppy racetrack, is there anything you're looking at? Is it is that going to inhibit a horse's ability to be able to make up the time if they do if they are in a bad position after turn one, or does that just uh, does the cream rise to the top and and the better horses are going to have an easier time making up the pace? Yeah, I'm less worried about the break as opposed to it being on a dry track than I am the position. I think that the what complicates the race and when the track is sloppy is, is beyond the horses, not some of them, you know, not handling it or not liking the mud in their face is the fact that, you know, inevitably they're going to be parts of the track that are deeper than others. And it's less a factor mm-hmm. when the track is loose and fast. And when it's muddy, if you get stuck in an outside path that's deeper and sloggier, you're done, you know, and that's, yeah. that's the problem with a 20 horse field. The mud just makes the, the actual lane you end up inheriting to run in that much more substantial. And really that's why mine, that bird won the Derby is because Calvin Burrell who rode at Churchill knew where the, the most, the fastest part of that track was on that day. And he got his horse down there and there were horses that were better than him on the outside. And those horses were in a less preferable lane in that, in those track conditions. And, you know, it was what it was. And, so it'll make me a little more nervous that, you know, if it's sloppy about the fact that some of the horses I like are on the outside but, you know, I think in the mud, ultimately, you got to look at the individual horses. You know, there are some who have run in the mud and proven that it doesn't bother them. I think the two that stand out the most in this field, Gormley, as much as I probably wouldn't use him in my bets if the track is dry, his best speed figures career-wise were in the mud. And Classic Empire, the morning line derby favorite, broke his maiden at Churchill in the mud. Mm-hmm. So those are two horses you've got to look at if the track is bad. And Gervin, if you're tempted to bet him, even though he might be, you know, working in bar shoes, I think the mud really hurts him. You know, if you're if you're going into that race with a quarter crack and you end up with a sloppy track, there's there's nothing good about that for you. Yeah, you guys had mentioned it earlier. I think uh, Kip, you had mentioned it at, at the beginning of the show that uh, you know this will be the first Kentucky I think since 2009 in which uh, Bob Baffert doesn't have a horse. He's got a um, he's got a horse, Abel Tasman, that he is uh, that he is running in the Kentucky Oaks on Friday. But not only is he not running a horse at Churchill this year in the Derby, but he's going to get on an airplane on Saturday morning, fly back to California, and he is going to be watching the Kentucky Derby from his couch. And uh, that, I don't know, that just seems strange to me for Bob Baffert not to be walking sure. a pony, um, you know, from the stables over and, uh, and, and not even to be there. I, I figured he might have some horses in some of the, in some of the preliminary races and such, and maybe he does. But uh, I think as of right now, Baffert's plan is to get on a, uh, uh, get on a private jet and head out to, uh, I, I think it'd be a private jet. It would kind of be odd to uh, 
be departing uh, Louisville uh, International Airport on Saturday morning on a commercial flight and have Bob Baffert sit next to you uh, uh, departing on uh, on um, on Derby Saturday. But uh, that'll that'll certainly be very interesting as well. Let's talk a couple more uh, storylines before we really uh, wanted to get in. I really want to get um, uh, leave some time for for both of you to kind of talk about. Uh, your picks and who you're looking at and who your favorites are. Kip, I know you, you've you posted that today. want to give you an opportunity to talk about it. Amy, I know you put something together that uh, you usually usually have ready uh, late on Friday, maybe early on Saturday, so I don't know if it's uh, – I don't know if it's too early to uh, kind of start looking at that, but we'll ask you that in a minute. But y'all mentioned, too, trainer Antonio Sano. What an incredible story this is. Um, Not only has he been kidnapped before, but he's been kidnapped twice before. Uh, And it wasn't like he was kidnapped 25 or, or 30 years ago. This is one of the most successful, if not the most successful trainer in South America, the most successful trainer in Venezuela, likely why he got kidnapped in 2009, the last time he got kidnapped. He was held captive for ransom for 36 days, tied to a bedpost with a hood over his head. And once he was released, he said he lost 50 pounds in captivity, and he spent over 10 days recovering in the hospital after his release. Uh, amazing story. He has since moved uh, um, to the United States and, and um, um, has no interest in returning to Venezuela. You can't blame him. And really doesn't enjoy talking about the uh, whole ordeal. Um, just this week he was asked about it, and he said, and I'll quote, and this is from the same SI article that uh, I had referenced earlier, Uh, written by Tim Layden. He said, uh, you know, 20 years ago, Venezuela was a great country. You know, now it's totally different. It's sad, very sad. Sad for me, my family. There'll be no more Venezuela, only America. This country has opened his arms. Uh, Amy, talk a little bit about the incredible story of uh, Antonio Sano and and what, what an amazing what an amazing story it would be if um, if his horse could end up winning the Kentucky Derby this year. Sure. Well, I, I feel like it speaks for itself. He was Venezuela's all-time leading trainer, which is what made him a target. And it's just a Cinderella story all the way around. You want to you want to see these guys come here and be successful, especially after going through something like that. You know, Venezuela has a, a very storied history of thoroughbred racing, and you know he talked in an article I saw you know, covering his kidnappings about how, you know, in Venezuela, the whole country stops to watch the Kentucky Derby, that this is an iconic moment, you know, that he remembers watching from Venezuela and thinking, wow, that's the American dream. And here he is with a horse in the Derby, you know, living the American dream. And of course his horse himself is a Cinderella story as an orphaned foal and a $16,000, you know, bargain basement purchase. He's got a Venezuelan jockey. So you know, it's definitely uh, um, the Cinderella story of the day for sure. It, it really is. Kip, thoughts on uh, thoughts on the Antonio Sano story, and then you had mentioned as well, Kip. Um, uh, Red, I believe it's Rajiz Marash who is yeah. uh, uh, will be the jockey on Irish War Cry in in the summer of 2015 at Belmont Park. He was in a huge accident. The horse he was jockeying fell on him. He had eight spine fractures, multiple broken ribs, and a collapsed lung. He almost died. It took him eight. It took him 14 months of physical therapy and healing to get back on a horse. Last time he was on a horse, he won aboard uh, Irish War Cry. I believe it was the first time he had mounted that horse in the Wood Memorial. So, so you know, kind of give me your thoughts on the, that situation, uh, as well as the Sano situation, and then we'll get into. Uh, We'll get into uh, you and Amy's picks for the Derby after that. Well, on the Sano situation, uh, it needs to be noted that um, the way that that kidnapping finally came to an end is that his family diligently gathered up basically every asset they had in the world and everything they could round up from anybody who was inclined to help and finally reached a deal with the kidnappers, paid the ransom, and he was finally released. Um, but it, it completely wiped out the family, uh, the family's uh, 
fortunate, or you could call it that. I have no idea what the number was. But Seven, um, seventy thousand dollars, Skip, and most of most of it was borrowed. You know, yeah, there um, we go. So, so incredible. And yeah, and they and they pretty much uh, upon his recovery just walked away from a stable. I think it was one hundred and seventy horse strong, and and uh, basically came to America and started from absolute scratch, started all over again, and. Seno has been a uh, trainer with the reputation uh, at, at in South Florida of just being a, a, a scrapper and, and uh, really made his living uh, claiming horses and keeping a sharp eye out for good prospects and build his stable back up slowly, and it's still a work in progress. And, uh, you know, as Amy mentioned, uh, this horse, kind of a miracle uh, situation, and, and uh, it just so happens that uh, his rider – uh, who's also Venezuelan the Persuasion, uh, just happens to be Javier Castellano, and that's not all bad. So, uh, you know, <laughs> probably the leading jockey in the world right now. So uh, there's a lot of great storylines, and and uh, and it would be it would be really something special if uh, if if that came to fruition on Saturday. Uh, on the other end, Rajiv Mirage had the, had the reputation. He was a he was a jockey that a lot of trainers like to go to because he would kind of get after horses. He's an aggressive rider. A lot of uh, a lot of riders in New York. Um, uh, not the most popular guy in the locker room. Let's put it that way because uh, he, he's, he's one of those ultra competitive guys that would spike his grandmother yeah. and break up a double play. Um, and, <laughs> but everybody in the sport. Yeah, everybody in the sport, uh, the hearts went out uh, uh, when he had the horrific accident. And now it's, it's kind of funny, uh, from, from being kind of a vilified character, he is pretty much, uh, you know, everybody in the sport is, has, has really embraced this comeback and the determination it took. And I'll tell you what, these, these, these guys are, uh, and I haven't been around them a lot, uh, I mean, these are, these are very small individuals they're only 115 pounds or so 110 but i'll tell you what there's not there's not tougher athletes in the entire world these guys uh just uh, it's unbelievable how uh how fit they have to be how strong they have to be and how and just the courage to go out there on those on these on these incredible animals and compete and and know the risks and for mirage to fight so hard to come back and then get a horse like irish war cry who is a major contender here, and and it had to have been, uh, you know, Hollywood storybook stuff when he crossed the finish line at the Wood Memorial. That that just had to have been a moment that, um, you know, just think what goes through your mind after the ordeal he's been through. Yeah, well, and, and just, a, you mentioned it too. To the size, just because they're small, doesn't mean they're fragile. They're tough as nails. There's, That's a there's tough, a, uh, another piece tough to that way to make too, a living. Gotta... Amy, go ahead. Yeah, you got to keep in mind that Mirage was the jockey when in 2011 when Graham Motion had Kentucky Derby winner Animal Kingdom in the Belmont team. Mm-hmm. Mirage ended up getting suspended after the Belmont because, and it was probably one of his most embarrassing moments professionally where he got called out for being an aggressive jockey because he was on a right. long shot and he he'd been on Mucho Macho Man in the Preakness and had got taken off of him because the connections there thought he re- rode a bad race and. And he was to the inside of Animal Kingdom, who was to the inside of Mucho Macho Man. And when he broke from the gate, his horse veered into Animal Kingdom, who veered into Mucho Macho Man. And there was an allegation made that it was deliberate to take out the horse to, you know, to take out Mucho Macho Man, which, you know, Rajiv vehemently denied and, I, you know, reportedly was mortified that he was being accused of it. But, you know, Animal Kingdom, of course, ended up with a fractured hawk and was out for the rest of his three-year-old year mm-hmm. as a result of it. Uh-huh. But Graham Motion <clears throat> had faith that he was honest in saying it wasn't his – that he didn't mean to do it and that he was truly sorry that it happened. And here it's Graham Motion that after his tragic accident gives him his ride back, his his shot back to stakes-winning opportunity by putting him on his 2017 Derby horse, which, you know, that's just an amazing – thing in and of itself the coincidence of that circle of people well and and, well and too amy i'm glad you mentioned grand motion i mean irish work guy right now six to one favorite so strong likelihood that that horse has an opportunity to win this race on saturday so not only do you have the storyline of uh, uh of the jockey but uh grand motion kip is uh 
uh, has a pretty active Twitter account, in case you, you haven't noticed, and if you have, you ought to go to it. He's been very, very outspoken up until about three weeks ago about Donald Trump and his distaste of Donald Trump. So can you imagine the storylines that would exist in American media if Irish war cry were to win this Kentucky Derby? We would um, We would be reading for the next three weeks – uh, not only do are we going to get to be hearing, would we get to be hearing about the incredible story of the jockey, but I think uh, Graham Motion will become a household name for people because of how active he is at sharing his political beliefs on Twitter. Kip, your thoughts on that? Well, uh, the the first thing that might happen, uh, maybe he'll he can get a gig on CNN because they really need some ratings help. <laughs> they maybe, do. maybe he can maybe he can land his own primetime show if, if if his horse thrusts him back in the spotlight. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, well, Graham for, for, spoken. I mean, yeah. and it's funny because his his mannerisms and in interviews and things. He's he's very uh, genteel and and uh, and kind of a measured personality. He's not very uh, hyperactive. He's uh, uh, but but yeah, I I, I have uh, I have stumbled across some of his political proclivities, and he's not too fond of of our of our president. So um, so I'm, I'm sure he'll he'll be he'll be the darling of uh, of, of whatever uh, whatever cr- crowd is on hand that uh, is inclined to uh, participate in protests and things of that nature. So I guess Graham's well, the darling. Well, interesting. Of, that's, yeah. We, we, it's interesting. A, Amy and I kind of make a living in the in the space of, of public policy and public affairs, and you know it's not unusual for individuals that do what we do to, you know, um, um, to give opinions on social media from time to time about current events, about <laughs> campaigns and elections, about candidates here and there, but. Uh, um, it, it it has been a little different with Donald Trump. I, I will tell you, and and I learned my lesson very early on in this process that uh, you you can't even put something on social media that is that what I would call analysis and analytical because when when you start talking about the president, everybody is always going to believe that you're trying to make an argument either for him or against him. And a lot of times that's not the case. It's just analytical. But it, it is something that's that's kind of unique, I think. I, I don't know that I – I can't – I don't recall the same dynamic existing under President Obama or George W. Bush, and even though they were, you know, uh, very polarizing figures to the opposite party. So I, I just found it very interesting that um, – you know that in 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 some of the, the the preparations that I've done and kind of looking into all the um, all the aspects of this race and all the storylines on this race that 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 was one that popped up. I, I just would have been curious if uh, you know maybe eight years ago if he was um, critical of Barack Obama or maybe twelve years ago if he was critical <laughs> of George W. Bush would it have made enough news? And um, you know, uh, it's made news so far. If you do a, uh, a Google search on on um, on Graham Motion, you'll get to see it. But if Irish Warcry were to find himself in victory lane with the roses on uh, on him on Saturday, I suspect we'll we'll get to read more about it. So uh, um, that'll be very interesting. But let's go ahead and kind of talk picks. What everybody's kind of tuned in to hear and. Is uh, you know what do you what do you think's going to happen? We've got uh, we got about 15 minutes left in the show, Kip. I know that you have already posted kind of a little bit of um, a little bit of predictions for Saturday. So tell us what you like on Saturday. Tell us what ponies you like, where you like them, where you like uh, where you're at, what you're thinking on the exacta, the uh, uh, the, the trifecta bet, the superfecta bet. Where, what what's Kip looking at for Saturday? Well, you know, I, I do the same thing every year. You know, I pour over all the stats and I read all the profiles and I try to uh, uh, just kind of assimilate all that information. And then it's it, it becomes the, 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 the cutting time to uh, decide uh, um, who I like. And, and almost every time it comes back for me, I pay real close attention to the the prep season, which – one of my pet peeves is people call these, uh, you know, pre-races or prep races for the Derby. 
I mean, a lot of times these are million dollar races we're talking about. They're the premier races in oh, Florida yeah. and California and Arkansas, and, and they're treated like they're you know preliminary steps and you know, like the first round <laughs> of the NBA playoffs or something. Yeah. These are major, very important races, and I I really try to analyze who matched up with who, um, you know how how horses perform, and so it comes back to me a lot of times after analyzing the data to the eye test of what I've witnessed. And so far this year, the to me, the most dominant performance that I've seen was always Dreaming's race in the Florida Derby. Um, I, 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 I thought that field um, had a lot of quality to it, and I loved the way the horse was ultra-competitive in the early stages of wanting to stay close to the pace, and when he was asked to go, he just willingly charged to the lead, and what I really liked is how he kicked away and made it kind of a laugher in the stretch. Uh, and you know, it, it that race was on April the first, so we are we are some thirty by the time that they line up on Saturday. That's some thirty-five days removed, um, which is a longer uh, time off than a lot of the other horses that uh, ran as recently yeah. as the Arkansas Derby two weeks later. Uh, and and what I've seen and, and what I've heard from a couple friends of mine that uh, kind of track rats up up at uh, Churchill this week is uh, from watching this horse in the mornings, uh, he's really on edge. This horse is ready to go. He's getting tired of waiting around. Uh, he wants to run again. He's uh, He's been ultra impressive, won all three of his races under the Pletcher banner. And uh, I, I think we talked about pace before. I like the the one the one good thing in a twenty horse race is I think it I think it gives you an honest pace because you don't want to be caught up in the middle of the pack and getting jostled around. Getting some position is key going to that first turn and you got a horse like Always Dreaming. I, I don't think they can mess around at the beginning. I think they uh need to get after him a little bit and, and Johnny Velasquez is on board. Uh, I think they need to get him engaged early on. And if he can get around in a good position up near the front, um, I, I think he's going to have more in the tank than the other front runners and at least get to the lead at some point. And if he gets to the lead, then he's got a chance to hang on to it. So he's my top pick. Uh, we talked about the storyline horse, Guinevere, who also was in that Florida Derby. Uh, I thought his win in the Fountain of Youth earlier this year at Gulfstream was extraordinary. Uh, this was a horse that had a little bit of a reputation of being uh, a little shy and, and a little bit of a bad actor, but he was a true professional that day. And I, I thought his trip in the Florida Derby was pretty uh, acceptable. He drew the outside 11 post. He got hung out to dry wide and spotted way too much to ground to the field that day, but uh, really came home with a lot of gusto and the extra distance and, and just everything that's uh, – the storyline horses always seem to do well in the Derby – so I, you know, between the eye test and, and leaning too much on history, uh, it's just a different race to handicap. I don't, uh, I don't go by the data and the speed figures and and some of the logical things as much in the Derby as I do on some of the other intangibles. But uh, that's the two top picks that I landed on. I like Always Dreaming and Guinevere is my top two picks. Well, you mentioned you, you you said you get two other horses you think you can win. Who are those other two horses that uh, uh, you think uh, have I, an opportunity I, I, to win this race in case those horses uh, do get caught in traffic and do get kind of caught up in uh, uh, right. in the um, uh, in, in the in the mess, which will be a twenty horse race. Yeah, well, the way I've narrowed it down, I've got always dreaming or Guinevere. Uh, I, I, I'm guaranteeing one of those in the top two. So. That's your uh, that's your exacta keys, and the other two horses I think can win the race are are pretty obvious choices because on their best day, uh, I don't think there's a horse that's physically as imposing as Classic Empire. Uh, I I think just from sheer talent, what he did as a two year old, and uh, and and the the kick in the Arkansas Derby when he really got rolling on the outside was extraordinary. I, I think on his best day. He's the best horse in the race, talent-wise, and uh, I think he can certainly win. But I worry about him getting caught up in a lot of the traffic, and 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 he's one of these big, long, striding guys that uh, those horses don't typically stop and start very well. Yeah. So uh, that that's going to be the the big question mark for him, for me. But I, but if he gets a good trip, I think he certainly can win. And the other one, you know, I have to go to McCracken right next door in post fifteen. Uh, McCracken was the it horse until the uh, 
what everybody considers to be such a subpar effort in the bluegrass. But uh, that was after a significant amount of time off. He hadn't run since the uh, Sam F. Davis at Tampa. Uh, There may have been some issues going on there. I think that was just a race that um, the connections really didn't push him to win the race. He needed the race. And I think sometimes uh, that's not really shenanigans or anything uh, underhanded, but sometimes um, in, in these prep races, once again, I laugh at that term, um, but sometimes it, the objective's not so much to win those races, but just to get the, the horse a good yeah. uh, a good outing. And and I didn't I didn't like the race he ran there, but I didn't think they tried particularly hard to push him in it. And uh, you know certainly he has shown flashes of being a, a, a potential superstar. And uh, a, a, again, either he or Classic Empire, if either one of those horses runs up to their ability, I think that's the other two horses in the field that could certainly win. Good deal. Amy, who do you like Saturday? Well, I think you're going to have to get Graham Motion's Twitter account under control because I'm going to go with Irish <laughs> Warcry to win. <laughs> there you I go. That, you know, he's the only horse in the field that's run two triple-digit buyers, and yeah. if it weren't for his wood, his fountain of youth stakes in between his two wins, which are the Holy Bull in Florida and then the Wood Memorial, you know, he'd look like the very obvious morning line and post time choice but yeah. you know the the issue with him is what do you think of the fountain of youth and and i have a theory that i think graham motion thinks that his horse displaced and for those of you listening mm-hmm. who don't know what that is it's where you know there's a, a flap of skin in there in their epiglottis mm-hmm. that you know can get stuck open or stuck closed mm-hmm. you know if they're it, it can flip and and actually impede their error and sometimes with younger horses, it does that because they're playing with the bit or they swallow their tongue or, you know, they're, they're messing around. And I, the, the most common way to fix that is to put a figure eight noseband on a horse. And he came out in the Wood Memorial with a figure eight noseband on for the first time. So I think that's what Graham Ocean thinks went wrong in the Fountain of Youth. And we all know how that worked out in the Wood Memorial. He clearly ran his race in the wood. So you know, if that's what it was, I'm I'm all in, and and I'm mm-hmm. you know you have to decide you're willing to roll the dice, and that it wasn't something oh, yeah. else. But I, you know, he I believe coming off of a big effort like the Fountain of Youth, he has a pattern of running to that. If he runs to that again, he should win. That's you know he has the best mm-hmm. figures of the horses in the field. He came home fast in the wood. Um, I, I like everything about him. I like his post position draw, and I'm I'm I struggled between him and Thundersnow. I'm not going to lie. I, I, for twenty to one, mm-hmm. if you're going to give me that on the Godolphin horse, I think that the UAE Derby was an incredible race. That our our speed figure gurus just aren't really capable of assessing in a numerical yeah. fashion. Um, but when yeah. you run down the undefeated Japanese two year old champion the way he did, without you know, he, he looks incredible and. He's a level-headed animal that ships well. He has a lot of experience shipping. They have a lot of quiet confidence in him. I just don't like his two-hole, but I will definitely involve him in my bets because if he does get loose, he's dangerous. I I agree with Kip. I think McCracken is a horse you can't overlook just because Churchill Downs is his home track, and he'll be in my bets Mm -hmm. lower down. Um, And, you know, I'm going to use Always Dreaming, he won't be on the top of my ticket because I'm a little nervous about how lightly raced he is. Um, and it was a huge step up for him. He went from an optional allowance claiming company into the Florida Derby. So he's going to have to take another really big step up, but he certainly looked the part in the Florida Derby. Uh, and for a long shot, you're going to laugh. I kind of like hence Sunland Derby winner. That race has had a history uh-huh. of producing some competitive yeah. horses. I, I was, I bet firing line and won a lot of money on him in my trifecta when he finished second to, to uh, American Pharaoh two years ago in Kentucky. And he was the Sunland Derby winner and uh, hence has certainly liked Churchill since he's been brought there and has been working well. So, uh, but my pick is I will cry. Excellent. Amy, where are you watching the Derby on Saturday? You going up to, uh, are you going up to Pimlico? Are you going to be watching it from your house? What What are your plans for Saturday? I will watch from my house. I can't handle it when I can't actually hear all the coverage on TV, but I will go to Laurel Park in the morning to place all my bets. Nice. Nice. Fantastic. Well, good, guys, before we end up going, first of all, 
Thank you for Kip and Amy for, for joining us again. Our hour has flown by. Kip, any final thoughts? Amy, any final thoughts? And then we'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up and um, and uh, we'll let everybody get a get a good night and then uh, hopefully get uh, uh, get a couple days to evaluate uh, what they want to do if they are placing bets on the Derby and if not, uh, just hopefully they can listen and enjoy watching a good race on Saturday. But Kip, any final thoughts before we sign off? Yeah, I I, I want to uh, indicate that I uh, on my on my exacta plays uh, I I also use Hens on that second line. I I really like, and he's kind of the the wise guy horse. That's the one everybody's whispering about uh, on the backstretch. So it'll be interesting to see how he he runs. But I I, I do give him a a pretty good shot to uh, to to maybe get up as good as second. And it, this is a little bit of on the obscure side, and it has it, but as far as uh, crafting bets uh, using the horses that I mentioned I've got a uh, perspective superfect to play for you but it involves keying two horses in the third and fourth position in the super which you know a lot of times I lose people trying to describe how to do that but if you take my top two horses the five and ten and then play uh, the other horses I've mentioned on the second line and then use these two horses who are both going to be bombers. We talked about looking at Lee in the, in the one post. Uh, I think of all the horses in the race that could draw the one post, he might be the best guy to do it because he doesn't care about uh, trying to, to, to compete for the lead. This is a horse that's going to fall back and just save ground and be satisfied just to find a little bit of a gap and hope that uh, gets some openings. And Corey Lannery is his rider who is highly underrated, Wins a ton of races during the year at Churchill and uh, and 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 at some other circuits. Um, so I, I think he's a live horse to hit the bottom of the ticket. And the other one is maybe going to be the longest shot in the race. But if you watch the races at Arkansas of Sonneteer, who's had ten starts, he's still a maiden. But this horse comes from the clouds. I'm telling you, if everybody's falling wow. apart at the end, this is the kind of horse that comes charging up and. You say, who in the heck was that? He's the 12 horse here. Uh, I would use the 1 and 12 in the third and fourth position in Superfecta bets. Uh, key those two that are going to be coming late and uh, hope to get one of them up for third or fourth, if that makes any sense, uh, in, in, my, uh, in, my, in my warped way of trying to explain it. Kip, it makes sense, but only if you're looking at everything on a piece of paper. I could follow you because I have right. it in front of me. I would encourage everybody to do that. But, wow, Sonneteer, that's uh, that's going out. Amy, any final thoughts as we wrap up uh, the uh, you know, 2017 actually, Kentucky Derby preview? I agree with him on Sonneteer. He's in my the bottom of my wheel. I'll be using him a little bit because that Arkansas there Derby closing was amazing. But, uh, you know, for the bottom of the tickets. But he's a great long shot to – make your bets pay off. And, you know, my final thought is just this is going to be a great betting race. And, you know, yeah. it's definitely the race where you want to combine some longer shots, use wheels, do some boxes. And, you know, if you get the right combination, you're going to have a lot of money in your pocket, even if you've got favorites in there too. Because as you point out, it seems like this will be a year where the favorite goes off at at least five to one. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. And as, as we we'd mentioned earlier, those are uh, – Traditionally, uh, the bigger payouts on a lot of those uh, a lot of those larger bets. So, uh, Kip and Amy, and, once and, again, and yeah, go ahead, Kip. Real, real quick thought. Uh, don't forget, uh, in recent years, you, the base bet now for a trifecta is only fifty cents, and you can do a lot of damage with fifty yeah. cent trifectas uh, because it only costs half of what it used to cost you if you play. You know. Good a hundred combinations it would have been a hundred dollar bet. Now you can do it for fifty, and the payoffs are potentially going to be fantastic. So try the fifty cent try and spread it around. Throw some throw some big numbers in there, and who knows? That's a good point. That's a good point. I bet uh, going to be a lot of folks putting on fifty cents in Birmingham this weekend. That's for sure. <laughs> Kip, I was hoping to make it over for the Derby. We're actually having some family over. Uh, we were going to have them over on Friday night, but we have changed it to Saturday to make it a Kentucky Derby party. So Jason Bowles and I are going to try to make it over to Birmingham for the Preakness or the Belmont, but uh, oh, which I'm sure be will be 
big events as well, but uh, we we do look forward to, to hope, hopefully doing that because uh, no place to pl- no place in Georgia to put bets on a lot of these horses. So we're going to do we're going to do blind draws with the folks that are here, and well, uh, you know in this fun. race that might might not be a bad bad deal. And in previous races, uh, at least the last three or four races, if you didn't get the favorite. Uh, you didn't have have much of a chance, but we do that with the uh, steeplechase every year. That's up in uh, up near Rome, Georgia, in uh, Kingston. That was a couple weeks ago. That was a lot of fun that we went to, and and um, so that that's what we're doing. It won't be quite as exciting as as uh, the betting that you and Amy will be doing, and that others will be doing on Saturday. But as I said, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, for the for the Brigness or, or the Belmont, uh, we we can make it over there, have a full day of. Uh, a full card for uh, full days of racing at a uh, multitude of tracks, and uh, uh, we'll just have a, a good time either way. Win or lose, we'll have a good time. Yep. It, but Kip, you know, bad Kip and Amy, thanks. Still better than a good day somewhere else. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. But I, I really appreciate both of you guys being on uh, to give us uh, your expert analysis and insights. Uh, I hope everybody listening enjoyed it. Um, good luck uh, to everybody uh, watching the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. I believe post time is 6:18. NBC will be covering the race. And uh, my name is Chip Blake signing off, and we'll catch you uh, next time on the Red Zone Sports Report. Thanks, everybody, for listening.